In a world where two duck fans wanted to record a podcast about Oregon duck sports and other stuff, this, this podcast is what they came up with. I know, it's not very good, but it's the best they could do. Anyway, welcome to the flock. We lost a few games, tough. That was District 5. Now we're the ducks. Yeah. And the ducks... Yeah. Are undefeated. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Flock Pod, hashtag 054, here in the beautiful condo. We got producer Zuko on the ones and twos. We are at the Flock Pod on all those major social media platforms. I, myself, am at Coach Justin D on all those same platforms. Shane, tell them where you are. I am at Shane Potter 6 on Twitter and at Waka Flocka Shane 6 on the Instagram. I literally almost forgot that. Dude, you totally got me with that pause. <laughs> I was like, I literally was like, huh? Like looked over super fast. You had me, man. You totally had me. So we've got a great podcast for all you beautiful people out there today. Um, definitely want to thank westcoastcfb.com for their partnership with us. We will go over one of their articles later in the podcast going to touch on some pro duck news in the nfl going to give you a little bit of a preview of that oregon running back room as we approach ever so closer to pac 12 football Been that just there. that just feels so good to say yeah. you guys are going to see shane's face right now <laughs> and then we'll jump into some basketball news here to kind of wind it up but shane let's just jump right into this man and i just we talked about it a little bit last week and then big herb went out and showed out once again i mean he has to be the the product offensive player of the week yeah i was gonna say instead of the product player of the week it should be the justin herbert award featuring so and so yeah we just well it should just be justin herbert at this point i mean i don't, I don't know another oregon duck that's going to really show out on the offensive side of the ball this year the way he has and it's just like we kind of talked about a little bit pre-pod all the things all the things that we were worried about haven't really been coming up they haven't really been showing their head as of yet and then yeah. like the decision making the leader of men you know is he extroverted enough to you know be a quarterback in the nfl in today's you know social media heavy culture things like that so none of those things have really popped up yet but the kid's playing ball yeah i mean you, we, like you said it's gone way better than we could have anticipated but uh like it's also like you also said before the podcast that a lot of the things that we were worried about yep. um haven't really been on display as much and i don't know if partially that is kind of the way that he got thrown into the lineup yeah didn't have any time to think about it i mean literally no build up whatsoever and i think one thing that we kind of underestimated was just how good this chargers team was already yep. and we were kind of talking about that earlier that he's kind of just kind of spread the ball around in an already built system. I like the coach, uh, the coaching style on Anthony Lynn, and then the quarterback's coach that we Pep talked Hamilton. about last week. Pep Hamilton is coaching his butt off. And you see him, I, I really watched that game intently this, this last week, and you see him, every time he goes to the sideline, he finds Pep. Mm-hmm. He and Pep are sitting there, and they're talking. Uh, the third string kid, Easton Stick, is right there. Like, hey guys, hey guys, <laughs> can I can I see what's going on too? And that that's fun to me. I'm excited to see if 
Taylor can get back on the sidelines and what kind of an influence he can be for Herbert just as another guy to talk to also to give a different perspective. Right, because, I mean, it has been named that Justin Herbert yep. will be the quarterback moving forward. Yep. So t- Tyrod Taylor is now the second string guy. I, I think that he has those kind of leadership qualities oh. like in his yeah. core that he's going to want to help Justin along. And I like that you mentioned Justin Herbert on the sideline because have you noticed he seems a little bit more like enthused than you've ever seen him? See, I was gonna say he looks relaxed, or maybe that's the yeah. Word. He like, looks he like seems he's more just comfortable yeah. than he did even in Oregon. A little bit. Well, and we forget that this was his childhood dream. I mean, he literally manifested this to go play professional football in Los Angeles. I mean, the announcers won't shut up about it, and so that's the only annoying part. But I mean, to be a kid living in LA playing football, balling out with a great team around you, a supportive coaching staff, a brand new facility that you're, I mean, New New Jersey's. I mean, he's got, he feels very Oregon right now in a lot of ways, you know? And I think that that coaching staff, like we talked about, really needs to be commended for just putting him in such a beautiful position to succeed. He still has some injuries that they're working with there with the Chargers. They're kind of like the the West Coast Philadelphia Eagles right now. I think every team's going to go through that a little yeah. bit at some point. Yeah. With that defense gets completely healthy, though, and if they get Keenan Allen back, I mean, this is a team that can legitimately challenge for a playoff spot in that AFC. And I think people thought that before the season, but they thought it'd be like 19 to 12 kind of games. And now mm-hmm. he's gone out and he's had shootouts against Brady. Mahomes. I mean, who else do you want? Breeze. Yeah, there was. I mean, uh, I there was some stat they showed right before the game that he's the first quarterback to go against three Super Bowl MVPs in his first four games or yep. something like that. That One was of those Monday Night Football stats. Is that when Levy was freaking out about the graphic where Mahomes pulls his cell phone out and starts looking uh-huh. at it? Yeah, yeah, those were all great. So Herb on Monday night went 20 for 34, 264, which was interesting because I actually bet a Justin Herbert over for the first time in his professional career where I've gambled on him. And uh, his under over was 265. Oh, Vegas. Yeah. You got Vegas. That was, oh, man. That was tough. Uh, four touchdowns, four carries for eight yards, a 122.7 passer rating, uh, 7.76 yards per attempt. So he was actually moving the ball down the field even more than he was uh, prior. The three touchdowns in the first half was awesome. Four touchdowns uh, was a rookie record for Monday Night Football. Yep. He totaled 37.36 fantasy points in our Triple Crown scoring system. Yes. Yes, he did. Uh, yes, which he did. was the second uh, highest fantasy total for the day, yeah. for week five. He is a difficult commodity to acquire in fantasy right now. I'll tell you, in two quarterback leagues, super flex leagues, or one quarterback's leagues, as someone who's been trying to acquire him for now for a couple weeks, he's a tough get. Uh, he... Went up 23.9% owned in ESPN Fantasy League on Tuesday. Yep. Probably gone up more since Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I actually just got... And they're on by. I got a trade offer uh, in one of my leagues to get him. Oh. It's interesting. Interesting. Is that in WWFL? No, it's oh, in... Oh, I was going to uh, say, the way you were looking at me right there, I was no, like, oh. it's uh, Justin Herbert for Travis Kelsey. Now, what do you think? Is that a keeper league or redraft? Redraft. Redraft. Who's but it's your... a two quarterback. You can start two quarterbacks, and the two that we have are Teddy Two Gloves and Gardner Minshew. We don't have a third. Who's your tight end? Uh, we just have Kelsey. So I'm trying to think. Maybe I could throw in like a Jerry Judy, and they have Hawkinson. 
But I also yeah, don't know. Yeah, I, I like that a lot more. Yeah, I also don't know. And there's a couple good waiver options. This is great podcasting. Really not talking about, I love yeah, it, though. I love it. I don't it. know how <laughs> I feel about Justin Herbert moving forward compared to having a top-tier tight end. So like, yeah. what, what would you trade for Justin Herbert right now? Well, in a two in a two quarterback system in that super flex system, I think you're you're looking at a you know top twenty five asset. Wow, yeah. you know, I think you're even really yeah. Well, especially in dynasty formats, you're probably even looking at more than that if it's a super yeah. flex type of situation. But just because of the hype, he plays in L.A. He just balled out on Monday night. I might wait a week or two and try to reacquire him then when you're in need. Mm-hmm. But in your situation but where you, you do need you. you do need that third quarterback, so I would definitely take a hard look at those tight ends on the waiver wire. But I loved your idea of trying to throw in a second piece and get Hawkinson also because I think he's a guy that could actually explode here in the second half. I hope the person that I'm trying to trade with isn't is listening. listening to this podcast <laughs> right now. Yeah, and if he is, no, that's yeah, none of that even makes sense. What? Where are we? <laughs> Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he progresses over the next couple of weeks. You could see a buying opportunity in the next week or two if he has a stinker after the buy. It has been really cool. I think one of the coolest things uh, as a Duck fan, somebody who's watched him, you know, kind of progress. And then even kind of with the stuff I did last year, I actually got to, like, throw some questions off this guy. Yeah. has turned into a person that's talked about fantasy football podcasts and Monday Night yeah. Football and, you know, like the Scott Van Pelt after show and stuff like that. So it is really cool. And, you know, I know that he's got to be absolutely loving this. As oh, the kid, the Eugene 100%. kid yeah. grew up down the road from Austin Stadium, all of this. And now that, like, the NFL is like, I don't want to say it's been easy for him, but it's been a uh, more optimistic path than you see with a lot of other rookie quarterbacks. Like, yeah. I mean... He hasn't been getting a lot of like that, you know. I'll be the, the game hasn't really happened, but and these are all losses. We haven't really talked about. They're, that. They are all losses. They're brutal losses. But he's putting him in a position to win every single time. And if that kicker, you know, that ball moves a half a centimeter the other direction, I mean, that's why it's an oblong ball. You know, mm-hmm. you never know what can happen. It's going to be interesting to watch these rookie quarterbacks move forward. I am getting to the point where there's a possibility simply because of the landing spots that they're in and you're already hearing it in some fantasy dynasty circles you're hearing it whispered in some of those nfl podcasts justin herbert could still be better than joe burrow and people need to remember that going into that senior season justin herbert was ranked so far ahead of joe burrow that joe burrow couldn't even see the elk's ass when he looked you know, it's like one of those things that was, it was Tua and Herbert, you know, that was the yeah. whole thing. Like, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And then as the season progressed, yeah, he threw a billion touchdowns. Well, and then you see the guy after the national championship game, sitting there smoking a cigar, looking all kinds of crazy cool. <laughs> How can you not take him number one? And he, he earned that. He earned that with his play. However, it's a one year phenomenon. Yeah. Justin Herbert's been looked at as a pro prospect ever since he was a freshman. Right. And, I mean, Joe Burrow did have some better tools on the LSU you team. Think? I mean, we've seen Justin Jefferson be, you know, quite the outside receiver for the Minnesota Hilaire. How great was it to see Queen bust up Burrow in that game and to hear about all that backstory? That's the fun stuff. That's uh, the fun stuff. I do think that Burrow has been pretty awesome, though, and that Bengals team has a lot more holes in yeah, it than I agree. the Chargers team. So I it's agree. a little – that's kind of a tough one to say now. And it even, like, 
the, the first couple years in your development can like change so much of your career trajectory where you look at these Carson Wentz types where like they've had to just kind of like swim against the current the whole time. Yeah. And like going into like that draft with Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, let's just use those yeah, examples. It's like, a great example. That Carson Wentz, I thought was by far the better quarterback and a lot of other people did. And then he got kind of in that MVP conversation for a hot second. Where Jared Goff has kind of been able to just like do stuff yeah. and be okay. Well, that first season, people forget that Goff was atrocious. Well, when was the last? I mean, and like, then Sean McVay comes in and actually teaches him how to play quarterback yeah, because well, Goff came Jeff, out of Jeff air raid. Fisher was ruining quarterbacks yeah. left and right. Well, Jeff was, Fisher's ruining everybody's lives. Nick Foles <laughs> looked like the worst quarterback on the planet when he was under the Jeff Fisher. System. But I think there is something to that where Goff played an air raid. He had to learn how to take a like take the snap. Mm-hmm. He had to learn how to get up under center and McVeigh comes in and he says okay this is what you do well let's amplify all of those things and let's minimize those weaknesses of yours and the Eagles kind of did that a little bit with Wentz but now they're just kind of letting him play and I think you're seeing some of those weaknesses now really shine and I don't think Wentz is healthy no I honestly I don't think don't he's, think been he's healthy, healthy for a long time I don't think he's ever in a really not again unfortunately so I think he's one of those guys that um after a bye week for the Eagles I think might come back and look a little bit better yeah. uh, if we're talking fantasy again to bring this back I think Wentz might actually be a buy low in some of those oh, super flex leagues but I I am still if we go back to this rookie class I still think Tua is going to be the best out of all of yeah, I and mean, you know, I kind of—it's weird that I kind of forget about him yeah. at this point. Yeah, and like he got shown on the sideline during the 49ers game, which crazy that the 49ers got killed. waxed. Fitzy but, uh, man, that fits magic. But it was—they show him over there. And I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot all about that. I well, mean, it has been kind of a wacky year, but and we may not see him this year I don't with the think way so. Fitzpatrick is playing. The, I think the Dolphins are smart and to keep think, him on the bench. Exactly, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, yeah. and give give Fitzpatrick all the love he needs, yeah. man. I mean, I, I love that guy. He's just fun in football, especially when you see people get kind of like forced into the front, like Dwayne Haskins, where it was just like mm-hmm. they're obvious it wasn't the time, but it was just going to happen anyways, and then they're like. Oh, now we have to bench him. People are talking about, like, should he even be in the league? It's like, he shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. That wasn't his fault. No, I think the Washington football team's actually doing a smart thing there where they let him go out and have a good showcase game, and now they're sitting him, and they're gonna they're trying to trade him, like, really, really badly, but I don't know if anybody's going to be a taker. I yeah. can't even think of anybody in the NFL right now that would make a lot of sense I to thought, go get Haskins. I thought he was going to get traded to the Jets for Le'Veon Bell. And then Le'Veon just got released. cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think the Jets like Darnold, but they just don't know that Adam Gase is just such a dumpster fire. Like, yeah. worst coach in NFL history. Yeah, they run the ball more on second and long than any other team in NFL history. So love that eleven personnel, baby. Yes, love that eleven hey, personnel. That's bad coaching. So, anyways, to get way more <laughs> on track, back to Herbert. Did you have a defensive player oh, of the week? No, I definitely didn't. Yeah, so I went with, uh, you'll like this, Ugo Amadi. Yes. Um, He's playing out. He's, I didn't want to be that guy that gets him two, night, two year, uh, weeks in a row. Uh, so he only played 42% of defensive uh, snaps and only had three tackles. Wasn't a great statistical week for him, but it really wasn't a great week for statistically for any duck. Yeah, on the um, defensive side of the ball, for yeah. sure. Yeah, for, oh, more just Justin Herbert. But, uh <laughs> Yeah, but uh, the Seattle defense did everything that they had to to win that crazy game against Minnesota where Minnesota essentially beat themselves and kept Seattle in first How place. How dare you? MC. How dare you they intentionally beat themselves? Kicking that 
or How going dare forward you? on fourth down. Russell Wilson is a god amongst men and refused to let that team lose. It was, it was awesome. I got to say, like, as a Rams fan and somebody who's rooted against Russell Wilson forever, like that last drive, I almost wanted them to score just to, like, prove to Minnesota how stupid that was. Because I'm like, you're going to have to give him the ball back anyways. Unless, yep. I mean, you convert that first down, you know, whatever. But, I mean, either way, it's game over. But that's one out of the three possible situations. Either way, he's going to get the ball back. So, either you have to make him score and get a two-point conversion or just score a touchdown. And then that stupid fourth down pass to DK Metcalf where the corner for Minnesota didn't even know where the ball was. Dude, DK. DK's is. awesome. <sighs> wow. Yeah, but it's great to see Amani playing so well. And like we talked about the week before, he does so many things that don't show up in the stat book. Mm-hmm. You know, so many things. He is literally the thread holding that Seattle secondary together right now. Yeah, it's... I mean, but they did, you know, they did get stops when they needed to. They frustrated Kirk Cousins a little bit. Super easy to do. But they, they, he did he did enough. They're Kirk doing Cousins a of, lot uh, of enough. If he dies, he dies, quote. Like, <laughs> God, get out of here, Kirk. The other Ducks that I thought about, uh, I mean, Defoe had a, a pretty good game statistically. He had five tackles, but they got blown out by Cleveland, so I feel kind of weird putting them in there. And then Troy Hill, I mean, they beat the Washington football team, but he only had one tackle. Yeah, yeah. And played in, I think, less percentage of snaps than Ugo Amadi. So, Ugo Amadi, you are my guy for week five, even though you play for the team that I don't like. So, that's high praise. I do want to bring it back real quick, and I'm just going to put this on the record. So, I'm all about side teams. And everybody knows I love my Seattle Seahawks. The Los Angeles Chargers are creeping ever so closely to becoming a pretty ingrained side team for me. Really? Yeah, I love those jerseys. Are you a long-term side team guy, or do you kind of date your side Oh, I definitely date them. Yeah, Yeah, I definitely bounce around on my side teams. And so I'm I'm just kind of... And it has to be an AFC team. Like, it can't be an NFC team. Mm -hmm. Those are my rules for side teams. I've got my Blazers, and I've got my my Raptors, you know, Mm -hmm. because I already bounced from this. I was a long-time Celtics. The Celtics and I had a long infatuation. Yeah, there's probably still a jersey, like, hanging somewhere. Yeah, and congrats to Rondo, but we'll get to that later. But, yes, I I think that... that. (laughs) That's just going to piss me off. (laughs) I think the Chargers, they're, they're, they're creeping ever so close to my side team. I'd say last year my side team was the Houston Texans. Ooh. I really liked Deshaun Watson. I really like D Hop. If I had to pick an AFC team this year, I might go with Buffalo. Yeah, I do like Buffalo too. They're fun. And you've got Josh Allen on the old fantasy roster. Yeah. That's fun to root for, for I've sure. I always like Diggs. Yep. Did you see what Derrick Henry did to Josh Allen? Yeah, that was ridiculous. <laughs> and okay, let's just, I mean, the memes and everything are great, but give the guy a break. I mean, he doesn't need to be remembered for that for the <laughs> rest like of his 32. career. He's yeah. Like, what was I even doing out there? Why, why was I here? Even <laughs> in Christmas. All right, so we are going to now just ever so sh- ever so gently shift gears over to our West Coast CFB article of the week and we're going to jump into what was the name of this one uh, Pac-12 title preview yes how the Ducks the Trojans stack up break it down for me Shane so this is a this is a really fun article everybody should go check out it kind of breaks down position by position who has the upper hand in this potential Pac-12 championship meeting and so, I mean, just go off first here. It's the quarterbacks, uh, Tyler Shook and or Anthony Brown uh, <laughs> versus Slovis and Matt Fink at a USC. Uh, the West Coast CFB people here got USC with the 
the advantage of the quarterback position. I got to agree there. Yeah, Slovis played like a possible top 15 pick at the end of last year. Yeah, I think Slovis might lead the Pac-12 in passing yards, probably in pass attempts. Uh, they have a solid offensive line is going to protect him, you hope. And then in those couple games when he got hurt last year, Matt Fink looked like a more than serviceable. And these guys are probably, I don't know, they're probably both five-star high school yeah, USC. well, and we'll get to it later on, but playing behind that senior and junior heavy offensive line is a huge benefit mm-hmm. for those guys and the plethora of wide receiver options. So I right. think those things added into the fact that we really haven't seen what Shook can do if he does, in fact, win the job, which it sounds like he's going to. And then with Anthony Brown, we know what he can do in a different program, but we right. haven't seen him in this kind of an offense. I still... I'm I'm holding out hope for my guy Brown, but I do I agree with the article here where that USC does have the advantage. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, next, we'll go down to the running backs, which uh, we'll kind of get into our guys a little bit more in depth in just a moment. Nice uh, tease. USC though has got a pair of senior running backs in Stephen Carr and Oof Vave Vave Malapai. Nice, nicely done. What I'm gonna go with yes. there. Um, then behind again, just like you said, those the experienced offensive line, but Oregon has backs on backs on backs. Yeah. Stable. And it's, it's a legitimate stable of to, running backs. To the point where me and Justin are arguing or discussing <laughs> about how are we going to get some of these guys, the ball, our and fifth and sixth string running backs. <laughs> how are we going to get them how on the are field? Gonna get on the field. Like, is it a bad thing that CJ is going to take all the way to Sean Dollar's carry? <laughs> we'll get there later, but yes, I think that Oregon runs away with the advantage Ooh. here. Running back. You know, every once in a while, every once in a while, <laughs> I hate snapping so much. Oh my goodness. All right. Wide receiver. Okay, so over at the University of Spoiled Children, it looks like they might have a little bit of an upper hand here with Amon Ra, St. Brown, Tyler Vaz, and I love this name so much, Drake London. Maybe at the London. Drizzy Drake London. Yeah, that's, like, like, that's, a, that's a little correlation right there yeah, for he's sure. Yeah, so many things that he can yes. say about his name. You know, no, the, the USC, they, the way that we're stacked at running back, that's the way USC is stacked at wide receiver. And it's... It's been that way, I feel like, for a long time at USC. I mean, I know they get known for, like, producing other things out of that program, but Mm -hmm. my goodness, the receivers that have come out of USC. Well, the talent that comes out of Southern California. And, yeah, in general, and Oregon's been able to poach that over the last, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, and then speaking of poaching, I think that this is what is going to kind of swing this our way. Where the West Coast CFB folks have USC with the upper hand wide receiver I disagree. Oh. This is the only one where I have like a hard disagreement. Interesting. I think that there's going to be huge leaps from our guys, Josh Mogata and Michael Pittman. And I think that this change with Devin Williams is going to be the kind of um, field spreader that's going to render Jalen Red and uh, JJ Trey a little more useful for what it is that they do. Mm-hmm. And I think that eventually in the year, Josh Delgado will be another kind of uh, safety mover, as we should say, that'll kind of like open up a lot more for maybe even these running backs yeah, some of in the passing yep. game. Yeah, like so we talked about. I, I think that this, like on paper right now, this USC core looks better, and they might have even have like a better professional uh, wide receiver core. But I think this season, the passing attack is going to be a lot better. And Tyler Shook really seems like he's itching to get the ball downfield. Well, and I know him and J.J. Trey have a somewhat special connection, mm-hmm. so I'm curious to see how that goes. I think this is a question of um, USC has so much 
talent that it doesn't necessarily matter how they put the puzzle pieces together. Mm -hmm. So I don't think, and we'll get to the coaching argument here later on. I think the only way that I could agree with you is by saying that the Ducks fit together as a unit much better. And they, 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 like you're talking about some of their strengths minimalizes the other's weaknesses. And Mm -hmm. so I think as a unit, they may work better and actually produce a very high level of um, effect on the game. But man, that that USC, that's they're so star studded. So yeah. I, I still think I lean USC, but I see where you're coming from in regards to the way that the whole picture looks. Yeah, you know, what and I, I mean? just <clears throat> I think that the the leap that especially like a Josh Delgado is going to make is a lot bigger than I think a lot of people are kind of giving him credit for at this point. Just I've got because it. that freshman year is a little. I've got it. USC's they're the they're the boy bands. They've got like those two kids that like out in front that are gonna end up being like, you know, solo stars down uh-huh. the road. And the Oregon guys are more like outcasts, you know, it's like a group of people kind of coming together and like making it all work and coming together. So that's that's kind of the comparison I would say. I like there. that. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. It's gonna be more of a coalition kind of effort yeah. than, mm-hmm. you know. Um, what's that the 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 oh man, what what am I forgetting that saying? Um, the sum of the parts is greater. What is? What am I trying to say? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, know, yeah. <laughs> I know what it is. I'm just not smart enough to actually. This know is it. such good podcasting <laughs> today. All right, tight end, tight ends. Uh, I think that our Oregon threesome kind of runs away with this one a little bit. Getting Cam McCormick back, uh, Spencer Webb sophomore year, and then having the blocking specialist and Hunter Campmore is a little bit better than the senior freshman combo that they have over at USC. And then I get like the USC blocker or uh, tight ends are always more utilized as blockers kind of in that offense. Yeah. So I think it's a little unfair. And I also think Spencer Webb has the potential to be an awesome tight end going down the the line. Spencer Webb has incredible talent. He's another one of those kids that if he can put everything together and channel that energy onto the field, I think he's going to really take a jump. I'm just excited to see Cam McCormick. I mean, this guy's battled and battled through injuries and to get that sixth year like i just i hope that he just goes out and has like a um like a jimmy graham kind of renaissance you know here in his sixth year and just has a great year i mean he is he's got the giant frame he's got he's got all (laughs) the parts it's just been a plethora of just catastrophic injuries so i mean we hope you know just knock on wood or whatever it is you must do that you know we can get this guy for a whole year yeah, let's or keep him healthy. just five of the seven games or something. Yep. But I do. And then I do kind of like that Spencer Webb can be put out wide a little bit more. They kind of experimented that with last year. Yeah. And I mean, he's not, he doesn't kind of the, it seems like we got like the two specialists, like the cat pass catching specialist, the blocking specialist. And then you morph those two together and you get Cam. Yeah, I agree. So. I a hundred percent agree. And it's, it's another one of those things where the, the unit that the Oregon defense or the Oregon tight ends there has is better than just the individual star that USC mm-hmm. might put out there. And again, USC doesn't play a whole lot of tight end sets. They right. let, they run a lot of three wide receiver, four wide receiver, two back, one back. So it's going to be really interesting to see how much they even get on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, now to a sad one, the O-line. This is another one where it's like, you know, I think it's kind of like TBD a little bit. Well, nobody knows. I mean, Oregon, I mean, Cristobal has recruited the trenches so incredibly well the past two years. But what is this talent really going to look like when it gets out on the field? Now, I have no doubt that Coach Aaron Feld has been in there getting these dudes ready to play beyond a shadow of a doubt. And Cristobal is obviously going to coach him up. And that's his specialty working with the O-line. 
but I'm a, I'm a little concerned. I mean, if we, when we had Panay coming back, having that anchor, having that yeah. guy that everybody kind of flows off of, that's one thing. Now that ship's just kind of out there floating around and we don't really know what it's going to look like. Right. Whereas USC having that massive experience advantage coming back with a junior, senior, late in offensive line, but maybe not the top end talent that Oregon has. So in this interest, it's kind of like the inverse of what we talked about with the wide receiver core. Right. And yeah, I mean, it, the thing that makes this interesting too is Cristobal gets specific guys. These multi-tool, multi-faceted offensive linemen who are big and athletic, good lateral movement and all this stuff. So I think that these guys, I guess they could probably all eventually be better than the five starting for UFC at, USC at some point. <laughs> but <laughs> I get, yeah, I mean, experience is so key yeah. that I just like, you know, I was starting to get the other way, but the West Coast CFB guys got this one right Yeah, too. I think this, and I think now... If this is where the teams are legitimately playing each other, this is where I think that with the next topic that we're going to jump right onto is the defensive line. I think Oregon's overwhelming talent and overwhelming ability in that front seven is I I'm, I want to see that match. Yeah, I th- I think that's what I was kind of getting at. Yes, is like the defensive line is better than the offensive line so much more it makes up for it on the other side. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah, so I mean, let's just get right yeah. into it. the D line. Uh, I wrote, "Who cares who they have?" <laughs> <laughs> it's true though. Yeah. It's legitimately true. I mean, Jordan Scott coming back to anchor, anchor that line quite literally, anchor that mm-hmm. defensive line, and then Thibodeau coming off the edge, Faulu coming off the edge. I mean, it's it's going to be really fun. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, that might be the best overall group that we've ever had, or maybe in the last ten years. Maybe years, maybe we've had like the Dion Jordans, the DeForest Buckners, the Eric Armsteads, but I kind of feel like they didn't have the entire group there at the Around same time them. where yeah. we had, you know, the run stoppers, the big bodies, the edge rushers, just the complete package. I go back to that. I mean, this is going back a ways, but that like Nada Olshansky line, you yeah. know, and I can't remember who those edge rushers were. I mean, I know Olshansky played uh, a little bit on the edge. Bear. Bear oh, Bear, yeah. Uh, not Bear Bryant. Uh, no, no, not Bear Bryant. But I know what you're that. talking about. Um, yeah, there was definitely a lot of talent in Bear. I mean, one of the reasons he put up so Brandon many... Bear? Yes. Yeah. One of the reasons why he put up so many sacks that year was because the, they were constantly double teaming down on Igor and Nada. So I think that that line might go down as the best ever. But this this group definitely has a possibility, especially if you include the front seven yeah, I mean to go back, especially these next two years, this this group could go be the best we've ever seen. Yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of it is just you know kind of hearsay, and it all a lot of that does depend on you know if Kayvon does make the step that everybody's already kind of like assumed that he already has, which is dangerous territories for these guys because I mean he had the freshman year that we all wanted him to have, especially towards the end of the season there. But it's it's that next step, and I'm pretty confident that he will. But it 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 always worries me when it's assumed. Yeah, that it's like well, and he's now, a sophomore. Now he's this much better. Now, like I think in this article, I think does it say that he's the best uh, pass rusher in the nation? One of the best pass rushers in the nation. So yeah. I mean, it's like it's stuff like that 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 kind of starts, especially yeah. when it's not Oregon guys saying that stuff because Oregon people have been already saying that for since he arrived. Since he got campus. here, yeah, yeah. But I mean. It's that kind of a national attention that it's like, okay, and I'm confident. I'm not, I don't want to sound. I mean, weird. the guy has chased young potential. It's whether he can put it together or not. Mm-hmm. I and mean, it really like, just comes down to that. He's still going to get bigger. He's too. a sophomore. <laughs> he's a sophomore with Coach Feld in the weight room. Are you, that's two maniacs. Yeah, it's nuts. Good luck. Fill the sleeves, buddy. Um, so linebacker. Linebackers. I wrote CD line. 
So <laughs> yeah, really, who cares? I mean, and we're obviously seeing this through green and yellow glasses. That's what we do. That's here. what we do. We're semi-professional amateur podcasters. We bring you the fan analysis that you come here for. I'm so excited to see what this group can do because they're finally coming out of that Troy Dye shadow. Mm-hmm. I am very curious to see who's going to emerge as the overall leader on this defense. Yeah. Not just the the linebackers, not just the line, not just the secondary, but the entire defense. And if it's Nick Pickett, I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch many games. <laughs> so I'm really hoping that Isaac can step up and and be that guy. I just don't know if he can. I I'm... I'm pretty confident. I think he will take over that role kind of leading the team in tackles where in that middle linebacker spot, you can kind of, you know, you have more access to a lot. Um, I just think these freshmen coming in, I think Noah Swell and Justin Flo are going to be otherworldly if things, if their career trajectories stay on even remotely the same path. Yeah, I agree. And you're going to be playing behind experienced guys. I mean, Isaac's coming in as a redshirt junior. Drew Mathis, one of the other starters at linebacker, is going to be a transfer coming in as a senior. Um, MJ Cunningham's a little bit younger as a sophomore. It might be That might be the spot at the will linebacker where you get some flow, you get some swell kind of mixed in there. But, I mean, our lads already has flow as the second player there in the middle linebacker position. So they're already putting a lot of pressure on that kid. The only advantage that these freshmen have is they've had a little bit more time to acclimate. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And it's a weird season already. It is weird. You know, everybody kind of has the same disadvantages that way, which you can kind of look at as some sort of a positive if mm-hmm. you want to for a very, very, very glass half full kind of situation. I forgot. I forgot about maybe my favorite player in this position group, Mace Funa. Mace Funa is going to be insane. I'm so excited I to think, watch him play. Uh, he was the player that when we, when we first started doing this podcast, when we were doing the incoming freshman stuff, where I was watching his tape and I was like, he's hurting people yeah. out there. Like, no. this is... It, and he's such a smart, physical style of player, especially that, you know, you put him in practice with a Noah Swell, who's just like kind of the same style, like aggression, but more of like an unleashed kind of way, yeah. where it seems like Mace Funa is a lot more calculated. I thought Funa was from Utah, but yeah, another Mater D kid. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just really impressive, the pipeline that they've been able to really... Well, and it used to be a USC school. It was mm-hmm. almost guaranteed that if you went to Matter Day, you were going to go to USC. And now Alabama's coming in and getting guys. Uh, Clemson's coming in and getting guys. Texas is coming in and getting guys. Oregon's coming in and getting guys. The whole program's really opened up. Well, and I think a lot of that is kind of due to uh, spread offense kind of taking over nationwide. Where at it's that a good time, point. like you, you were if you went to Alabama, you had to really fight up the depth chart to get on the field because they're only putting two out there at times. Yeah, it's a really good and point. So I mean, now that you know you're kind of running spread all over, it seems like the wide receiver position is kind of just everywhere. Well, wide receiver, DB, linebackers. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of those positions have to be a little bit more um, Swiss Army knife esque in the things that they're able to do if you're going to get on the field because you can't just be a run stopping linebacker anymore. Yeah, and you can't just be. I mean, that's the same reason why we were talking about USC playing a lot of multiple wide receiver sets. It's almost a tell when they bring in their tight end because you know they're just going to try to run yeah. the <laughs> Which is a whole different kind of like smoke screening and stuff. So yeah. that's interesting. Um, go down to the secondary. and oh, uh, Do we have to? <laughs> you got to be excited about our corners. I just, just miss got. Brady Breeze. Yeah. I miss Brady Breeze. I miss the fact that we were legitimately going to have the best secondary in the country. Yeah. Like, no question, the and best now, secondary in the country. Now we have, like, the ninth best secondary in the country. Maybe even 
eight best in the Pac-12. I mean, I don't. I'm I'm genuinely concerned. I think Michael Wright has a ton of potential. I love Diamador Lenore. You're 100 percent correct. I love the corners that we have. I'm just. I'm very, very concerned it's about a lot that of safety position. But I, I also like that, you know, coming into before COVID, they were already talking about moving Michael Wright to safety and moving and him around corner yep. and some other things. So he was already kind of, you know, he was immersed enough in the playbook that Andy Avalos felt comfortable. Like, all right, let's see if we are, where we can put you to get you on the field. And now it's like, now you got your role. I mean, it's your one B, Diameter's one, two. So like, it's, that's assuring the safety position. I don't think is as scary as you're making it to be. I know. I'm just kind of exaggerating the fact that Nick Pickett's there, but I do like the fact. I mean, McKinley's been solid. He got a little McKinley's bit of time. Awesome. He got a little bit of time last year. I liked what I saw. I, I don't know anything about this Bennett Williams kid who's coming in as a transfer. Literally nothing. Does Daywood Davis, who's been a good corner, moved around? Does he see a little bit of time at safety also? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's some situations. Daywood is our like, guy, man. Daywood's he's our, our guy, guy, and you know he's willing to do anything. Anything, which yes, is awesome. And I think that his speed is so you know versatile. It's like on uh, <laughs> like the old NCAA football games when you had somebody with 99 speed, you would just kind of try and like get, figure yes. out how to get them out there. Yes. You're like, hmm, he's only a 72 overall, but <laughs> I need that speed. Yeah, it's like that. It can be such a game breaker that I think. I think in that system with the coaching staff, I think that I I would feel comfortable in being out there, especially putting him out there as like a safety and third and long situations where mm-hmm. you can just kind of ball hawk. In those dime pipe type packages also where you've mm-hmm. got a lot more guys out there on the field. I'm also excited to see what DJ James can do that other backup corner. Um, again, I, I agree here that, you know, Oregon still has the advantage. It's just not nearly as much of an advantage as it would have been. And again, it, yeah. it doesn't really matter who USC has, honestly. I mean, they've got a they've got talent. You know what I mean? I mean, especially with Hufunga is literally one of the best players in the conference. But mm-hmm. I just don't. They're more yeah. top heavy. I feel like yeah. I think I think University of Oregon's depth is kind of the thing that puts them over the edge. And I think that's so important in uh, college football secondary is to to have that depth yeah. because there's certain matchups that can be exploited so easily. And those can turn into points so quickly that I, I'm a bigger fan of this. Although, yeah, I mean, we had Jay Van Hollen, who we haven't even mentioned, Brady Breeze, Thomas Graham. That, so I mean, sad. Three top, top, top tier. And, I mean, I mean Jay Van Hollen, too, was punt returner, too. So Yeah, and I mean, that segues us nicely into special teams here. We don't need to talk about Oregon's kicker. We know Camden Lewis is bad. Um, I definitely believe, yeah, he needs to get better. He needs to get a lot better. I'm curious to see who Oregon does have returning kicks this year. This article mentions Michael Wright. I think you could see one of those fifth through seventh running backs that we talked about also find a way to get on the field that way. I'm always nervous about like the, like the corners and stuff. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't like it, especially your starting corner. Yeah, It's just too easy to like tweak a muscle. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm like, for some reason I feel like safeties is a little bit better because they're just like more durable by nature, usually but bigger bodied. Well, and I honestly, I love what the saints did. I mean, not to talk this back to the NFL, but they have a guy who's their normal returner. But yeah, when it's a big spot, I'm going to send Kamara back there to be our punt returner. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think there's going to be like that general punt returner. And then if we really need that spike, I mean, didn't Cliff Harris return a couple punts too? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was one of those, it was those big moment type returns that you put him back there. Like, oh, let's have a, let's have some lightning right now. Right. And not to bring this back to the Rams either, but then there's also schools that Sean McVay has where as Cooper Cup returning punts yep. because he says that this 
is a very important play in the game, and a lot of games are won and lost on this play. One. So it's it's very like two schools of thoughty kind yeah. of about it. And I just am a worry wart. So even like even JV and Holland was returning punts, every single one was like Oh. <laughs> well, and as a guy that loves Cooper Cup and literally owns him in every single fantasy league I've ever been in, he's been my like number one flag payer. I knew that guy was going to be a stud in the NFL. I hate that he returns kicks because yeah. I don't want him to get hurt, and I don't get any fantasy points from me returning punts. Yeah, but it makes sense because he's got the best hands in the league. Yeah. Well, I, some of the best hands in the league. Yeah, Kent there, Guard Mike has got to be up yeah, there, and a couple it, other he's guys. He's in the top tier. The kitten mittens, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Okay. So we definitely agree that USC has the overall advantage there, especially when it comes to the kicking game. Um, mm-hmm. Oregon's got a good punter. I like what we're doing there, but still massive advantage for the Trojans. Jumping into the coaching staff, as we kind of uh, hinted at earlier, this is not even close. Run away. Yeah, this is not even – I am shocked, absolutely shocked that – whoa, oh my goodness, <laughs> that uh, Clay Helton still has that job. Yeah. Beep. Um, gonna have to mark this one explicit. Yeah, uh, you didn't fully. I know. Fully I, I, say the yeah, word. I caught myself so I there. Think... Sorry, Joe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, Mario Cristobal has got to be, you know, the coach that every program who's missing, uh, you know, that that piece has got to be like kind of fawning over, kicking themselves for not going after earlier or anything. Just the way he was able to develop this program internally. And expand the kind of uh, recruiting borders yes, as well. Absolutely. I didn't realize that USC added Graham Harrell to their coaching staff. I, I actually mean, really like that as I an OC. Um, Mad if Clay Helton completely gives away those duties and lets Harrell do his thing, him and Slovis and all those wide receivers, that's a little terrifying to me, yeah. to be honest. And I mean, that it's, it feels like that USC, especially offensive coordinator job, is always like just one step away from the NFL. So yeah. it's kind of that like, launch pad position oh lane kiffin uh but it's yeah uh but it is interesting with usc's also their you know coaching turnover you know just have you have so many scouts and stuff being plucked at all the time all their scouts are being scouted shoot they plucked one of ours didn't they didn't Mm -hmm. they take our db coach yeah so yeah, it's. I think at the end of the day, um, you can click on the article here on westcoastcfb.com to actually see their breakdown and who gets that advantage but i'm I'm still concerned about this Oregon team, but if you put Oregon and USC on the field tomorrow, I'm still making Oregon, if they're home, six and a half point favorites. Ooh, if they're I'd on the road, this. I'd probably say two and a half. Yeah, I would, I'd probably go a little bit lower than that. I'd probably say five and a half at home to a two and a half on yeah. the road. But I want to yeah. stay in that Vegas zone for uh-huh. sure. Uh, I think it would be under a touchdown. I think when these two teams inevitably collide in the Pac-12 championship, because this is what I, I feel like will happen. I'm still worried about that schedule. Don't get me wrong. I'm still very concerned about the way that that schedule presents itself for Oregon. But if they take care of business, if they do what they're supposed to do, if everybody goes out there and does their job and any other coach cliche that you can throw out there, yes, these two teams should meet in December. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was a great breakdown. We are going to jump right in now to the Oregon running back room on that depth chart. This is, I mean, as we kind of hinted at earlier as we looked over the article, this is a, just a plethora of riches. And as we talked about some of the best position groups in Oregon history, this group right here has a chance to go down in the record books. Yeah, I mean, this group is really fun for a couple different reasons. Uh, it's like the one position that we've kind of just absolutely reloaded at, where we're getting everybody back, 
you know, bringing some of these redshirt freshmen along for the ride this time. Uh, so, I mean, we could just start off with the guy who's going to get the bulk of the carries and C.J. Burdell and his role in this team. Does he have a shot at the Heisman Trophy? Uh, that's interesting. In this year, I don't think so. Because you don't have those uh, kind of easy games to kind of build up momentum. It's a good point. Body into, you know, it, the Heisman race is going to be, I think, primarily quarterbacks this yeah. year. I mean, oh, Just, Trevor Lawrence, I mean, is going to have to, well, I almost said something very crude, but he's going to have to do something very bad to not win that award. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some other guys, especially in those Big 12 schools, who are doing that air raid style. Trey Lance? So, I mean, Trey Lance for his one game? <laughs> Trey Lance? Anybody? Trey Lance? No? Okay. But I think he does have, you know, the opportunity to, you know, make a big name for himself. Maybe, you know, do get some records. He's... Honorable mention All-American? Um, I think he could be in that conversation. He, right now, he's, I believe... 84 yards outside of breaking Oregon's top 10 rushing all time. I like it. So, you know, good stat. Yeah, he's right right outside that top 10, which is kind of hard to believe, but I mean, I guess he's gotten a lot of work. He's a junior. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That's what's so fun about Verdell, Die, and Cyrus is they've all came in together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're all, well, actually, excuse me, Cyrus and Verdell came in in the same class and then Die came in a year later because he didn't redshirt. Right. Um, but that's, that's a <laughs> fun group. That's a really fun group. And I, Again, that threesome right there alone is incredibly talented and separates themselves as probably the best position group in the Pac-12, but then you add in four, five, six, seven. So it's, it's right. incredible. And uh, CJ is one of seven college football players to have over 1,000 yards in the last two seasons, and he was the fifth running back at Oregon to ever do that. Yeah, he's, so, I mean, he's coming out. He's, gonna, yeah. he's going to the NFL after this year. We can only imagine unless something catastrophic happens. Die, not sure about there. Cyrus, he's probably coming back unless he absolutely shows out. I mean, he's just not going to get the touches, unfortunately. Well, Cyrus, his role on the team just isn't kind of, you know, like there's guys who do what CJ does who become that guy, a Cyrus guy in the NFL. Mm-hmm. We're that short yardage kind of like specialty back. Cyrus, ha- I mean, he's big enough where he has like some Kyle Juszczyk potential. You know, he could actually come in and almost be like an H back and he's got great hands. He's got quick feet, not maybe the best long form speed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's not going to like wow you with a 40 time, but that burst of speed and getting out of those breaks, I think is something that's really amazing to watch. Well, I mean, Cyrus had 85 carries last year for only 337 yards, but scored 10 times. Yeah, because most of those, <laughs> yeah, they're all going three yards into the goal uh, line. Yeah, I mean, he even had nine receptions for 32 yards, which is kind of more than I would have assumed. The thing that kind of jumps off the page for me for him is, like you said, he's in these short yardage situations or like third and short situations where, you know, a lot of the defensive focus is on him and he still averaged four yards a carry. Well, in some of those situations, he's a blocker and he's a great blocker at the same mm-hmm. time. So, and just that. Just I just I just like rooting for that kid. I'm a, I hope he finds a place at the next level. He's also great on field security. Uh, if you don't remember, the, oh yeah, the one of the best on the field, one of the and, best. Uh, yep. Also, maybe one of the best ducks to follow on Instagram if you don't follow him already. And his uh, oh, why am I forgetting his French bulldog? I can't remember his name right now. Henley, I think, is his name. But yeah, mm-hmm. great follows, super fun. Also, I meant to mention this a moment ago, but Jerome McKinley, great Twitter follow. Oh, during okay. uh, football games, any like primetime games on. Go just follow him. He he's does just like talking. 80 tweets per game. Okay. He's averaging or something. Cool. He's really, uh, really entertaining stuff, especially 
breaking down a lot of offensive players from that defensive perspective. I like on, it. On like what they do to kind of like. I'm gonna go find him right now. I'm literally <clears throat> opening my phone and I'm gonna let Shane take the lead here. Um. So something I also thought was interesting was Travis Dye last season, 106 carries for 658 yards, no touchdowns. Now he is kind of used in a change of pace style as almost kind of the third down back in last year's system. He's a little bit more of a downhill runner than CJ is a patient kind of find the hole runner. Uh, but the lack of scoring was just a little interesting that he didn't, you know, kind of snap one of those off, especially when you're gaining 6.2 yards a carry, uh, four, but only 47 yards per game. So, I mean, he, it is kind of the way he's used. Scat back. He mm-hmm. was really treated. I just love the fact that he doesn't wear gloves. I love that he's just old school, you know yeah. what I mean, with the tape and everything. And I'm, I mean, kind of coming out of his brother's shadow now. I mean, having, a, I guess he got a great gift from his brother yeah, uh, a week or two. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really curious. And again, so much talent. Cristobal is going to throw a lot of two back sets out there. I want to see some three back sets. I want to see like some wishbone, some crazy stuff yeah, out there. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be really fun and just let's get creative. Let's get weird. It's a seven game season. Let's see Shook and Brown on the field at the same time. I mean, you got to, you know, step out of your element a little bit and you're like mm-hmm. this just to kind of keep that element of surprise. Uh, the one time that Travis died was able to find the end zone last season was on one of his 16 receptions, which led the team out of the backfield. And on those 16 receptions, he did turn that into 159 yards. So getting him the ball in space did really work out last year. He's like that Austin Eckler type. He loves to just catch those little flare-out passes, runs a good angle route, does mm-hmm. a lot of great things out of the backfield. And again, maybe the best hands in that running back group. Mm-hmm. Well, of those three. Yeah, of those three, yes. yes. Uh, so those are the three <laughs> guys of last year who are going to be returning and going to be probably carrying a lot of that bulk moving forward this year. Uh, I mean, Cristobal is going to want to keep, you know, kind of the running identity somewhat the same as last year as it was very successful. But these guys we're going to talk about next, we did not see a lot from last year or see them at all. And they are all uh, equally exciting in kind of different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And I want to I want to commend Shane. This is like Shane's pet project here. He loves, <laughs> loves going deep dive on these guys. So I'm really excited to hear what he's got to say on some of these breakdowns. So Sean Dollars was somebody, another one that right when we started doing this podcast, somebody I got really excited about. Uh, last year, he was able to utilize his red shirt out of only those four games. He had seven attempts for 81 yards and two receptions for one yard. A lot of those yards came on one play against Montana where he snapped off that 63 yarder. And that was the first time it was kind of like, oh, what, what we, is this? What do we have here? Dollar dollar bills, y'all. Um, so I think he might be the best receiving uh, running back out of the bunch. Um, he was the number two all-purpose back coming out of California, uh, coming out of high school. So, you know, he has that kind of jack-of-all-trades mentality. He's got the, like, the perfect size body where he's at 5'10", 5'11", about 190. Um, he has the ability to make a lot of guys miss while he still doesn't shy away from contact. I'm going to guess he's over 200 now. Probably. After a year in that weight room and that training table, I bet he's put on some muscle. And uh, I threw up a Twitter poll a few days ago uh, asking who was going to have them lead the team in yards per carry this season. Mm-hmm. CJ, Travis Dye, Cyrus, or Sean Dollars. Uh, CJ won at 70%, but Sean Dollars got 23%. So fans are starting to you know notice. He can be that excitement back. He can be that guy that 
Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how Cristobal uses them. I'm trying to think of a comp kind of looking back in, you know, Oregon running back history. And he he kind of strikes me as like a Kenyon Barner type. A little you bit. Know? But I think better that, hands, though. Yeah, well, I think the the Dye, Verdell, LaMichael, Kenyon, I mean, that's too mm-hmm. easy to kind of make that comparison there. I'm just trying to think of when we've got, I mean, you know, you know the other one I'm thinking of. That third down back, that scat back, crazy speed, played in the slot. Yeah, that's the kind of guy I'm thinking. I mean, does he have that kind of potential for this season? I think he has that kind of like breakaway speed, um, but I think he's a little more multi-dimensional. It's weird to say as like D'Anthony Thomas did a lot of the same things from just different spots on the true, field. very true. I feel like Sean Dollars can do a lot of different mm-hmm. things. Um, another player that I feel like can do a lot of things is another redshirt freshman in Javon JJ Wilson. Um, who was a four-star athlete coming out of California. He's a, a big body, six foot two, played wide receiver a lot in high school, and all of his recruitment tapes, he calls himself a receiver. Uh, he also played a lot of defense. That's why he got the athlete um, categorization, which is weird the way they kind of do that. It almost like it benefits some guys, and I feel like in his situation, it almost hurts hurt him. him a yeah, little I bit, agree. Where he's looked at as kind of more of like a you know, master of none than I think he really is. Well, you can look at, I mean, bring it back to fantasy football, look at Antonio Gibson this year coming into the NFL. I mean, a lot of people are like, ah, like, what is he? What does he do? Lynn Bowden Jr. for Miami. Oh, where -hmm. does he really fit in? What can he really do for us? And so it's going to be, it's on the coaching staff at that point to figure out where this guy fits in the best. And I think that's where a lot of schools shy away from those guys, because guess what? They actually make you coach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true, and I think in in his situation, we might not see a lot of him this year. Yeah, and I think when we do, I think they're going to kind of move him around. I do think you'll kind of see him motioned out of the backfield or motioned into the. Does backfield. he get redshirted? He was already redshirted. Oh, he last redshirted year he redshirted. Year. Oh, my yeah. apologies. My yeah. apologies. Did okay, not, they, he didn't see the field at all. He was oh, suited. Oh, that's play why. At all. Yeah. Oh, okay. So okay. Uh, the one who was not redshirted was KJ Maduki. Mm. Um, and then we have incoming freshman this year who I'm really excited to talk about, uh, who I think could get redshirted just because, not because of a talent standpoint, but just how just, the the situation. Yeah, which we're is like in, Alabama right now at the running back spot. Where are you going to play? Is uh, Trey Benson, who is an absolute stud. Um, I think that he will finish his career with more yards and touchdowns than any other player on this current roster. Wow. I think he'll have a better wow. overall career than okay. C.J. Verdell. Okay. Um, I think he'll score more touchdowns than Cyrus. Okay. And that's saying a lot. I, mean, I like it. Yeah, it's a bold it's year. a bold take. I like it. But he has like this like Leonard Fournette, Adrian Peterson kind of style to his like running. Is he upright? Very. Okay. And like sometimes he does the head nod thing when he's <laughs> running when he gets into like full speed or like his whole body can't take the it. horse it's gallop. Like when you're driving like a 1990 like Civic and you max it out the whole thing just starts shaking. <laughs> like his body just can't handle it. And there was one play watching some of his highlights today where he was like he broke off so many people that he was like exhausted before he got to the end zone. Like he ended up not scoring because it was like one of the longest runs I've ever seen, like time wise. He was literally like 40 seconds. It was crazy. He was just shredding tackles and making moves. He can, you know, go through people. He jumps over a few people. He, it's, it's unbelievable. So like, what you're saying is if people want to have a little bit of fun after listening to this podcast, go ahead and jump mm-hmm. on the old oh, YouTube yeah. and just look up Trey Benson. Oh yeah. And he's from, he's playing in Mississippi. Like this isn't West coast, you know, 
this big boy football. football. Yeah. This is like I form, run it down the throat. He's like people with large appetites trying to stop him style of football. So I, yeah, I'm I'm all in. After watching 35 minutes of Trey Benson highlights today, I'm a hundred percent in. I just think that, and I honestly kind of hope he gets redshirted in the way that. I was hoping Sean Dollars was going to get redshirted last year. I and again, extend these guys out like we've bit. talked about, there's so much talent in this group. We still have a couple guys to mention, and we're still trying to figure out how they're going to get on the field. Yeah, um, and one of them, you know, is more famous for his dad than his football abilities in Cross Patton. Um, Maybe very... that's why I came up with Outcast earlier, because I was thinking. About that. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Now, yeah, I'm with it now. This is a this is another really fun YouTube watch um, for a lot of different reasons. This is. The only really player to like compare him to is Darren Sprawls. It was the only thing I could really think of. He's just lightning quick, little tiny guy. And I think this would be, he could be used in a kind of like jet motion style. Kind of like, did you watch the Bills game on Tuesday? Mm-hmm. The Bills have that one like little guy that they kind of just try and feed the ball to yep. it sometimes. And yeah, like just use his speed, use his agility, just get him the ball in space. Especially if you can get him moving pre-snap, mm-hmm. where I think that you know you can really catch some defensive defensive backs off guard or just start getting them to immediately you know get on the heels and backpedal yeah. a little bit. He's only 5'6". It looks like he weighs maybe 170 pounds. I don't know. You might get mad at me saying that. I don't know. Like how small he really is. He might even be less than that, to be honest. I mean, five, six is short. He's a tiny little guy, but he's going to be that water bug. He's going to get out there and he's going to make a lot of guys miss and just make you look silly. So another kid that's really exciting to look forward here in the future for Oregon football. Mm-hmm. And then there's KJ Maduki, who uh, is a solid football player. I I mean, I don't want to like make this sound bad. He's probably going to like help them a lot of practice. He's probably a great scout guy. Yep. Well, all these guys are. That's the fun part is that this defense is going to be so ready for any running back that they go up against this season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, KJ Maduki, he can kind of like, he's fast, he's somewhat big. It's like nothing really jumps off the page. All these other guys are so much fun to talk about because they have that one thing that kind of separates them from the other where he's kind of a... Um, does everything. Just yeah, does everything like, well. He's, yeah, he's good at everything, great at nothing. Yep. Uh, it's just... Um, it, it's it's hard to follow up some of these other guys. Absolutely, and that's that's kind of the point that we're getting at is that this is just I, as much as I hate to say this, one or two of these guys is going to transfer. Probably. I mean, we saw it with uh, our guy Darian Felix last yeah. year. Unfortunately, I mean, when when they're this talented, when these guys are this hungry, they're going to come in, they're going to work hard. But if they're not given those reps, given those opportunities, they're going to find somewhere to go. And I'm like we said, we we root for anybody that comes to this program and then is able to go find success somewhere else. I mean, we're not those types of fans. It's like, oh, once you leave Oregon, you're dead to us. <laughs> we're not out there burning jerseys or anything like that. But it's it's fun to see the, the the journey that these players can go on, even if it does just start here at Oregon. Right, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, we saw Darian Felix leave. He averaged, like, 12 yards a carry. And we saw him leave because they just couldn't get him enough touches. Yeah. So, I mean, it'll probably happen again. Unfortunately, it's just hard to say or hard to predict which one. Mm. And All then, right. of course, there's always the other thing that we can't predict. The injuries. Absolutely. Yeah. And especially in a weird season. I mean, mm-hmm. having this much depth with the COVID stuff, who knows? Never know. I mean, Pac-12's done a good job up until this point, much better than the rest of the country because they haven't even started playing games yet. Weird. Yeah. Florida, good luck. Um, we're going to take a quick break. COVID now. <laughs> yeah, and the athletic director. <laughs> yeah. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. All right. 
Welcome back. We're going to jump right into some round ball talk. Get away from that weird oblong ball. And uh, <laughs> let's talk about one that bounces pure when you throw it down at the ground. Mm, Oregon basketball on the men's side making some splashy recruitment news here. Um, a couple weeks ago, getting that big recruitment from Nathan Biddle. Big in multiple ways. I mean, being a close to seven-foot kid here out of Oregon who's now playing down a prolific prep. However, Oregon just picked up a couple other big gets for this season and then for the 2020 or the 21-22 season. Mm. So Shane, tell me about Frank the Tank. Frank Katnang. Uh we're looking at a four-star. He is 6'11, 225. That is a big, it's a big, big dude. kid. Big boy. Um fifth-ranked center in the country, 28th player overall, uh, according to rivals.com. He is out of Westtown, Pennsylvania. Not a lot of Pennsylvania kids uh, on any Oregon athletic team. No, ever. Um, that I can really even think of. So we watched uh, so a good amount of tape on him. And he is, you know, uh, I feel like kind of going to be like a offensive anchor. Yep. Um, I do kind of feel like he is a little bit more of a throwback big than like say a Nate Biddle or a lot of the other bigs that yeah, have come That through. Oregon has right now especially, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like his timing on the defensive side of the ball. He's a good help defender. Um, he needs to put on a little bit. Again, he's he's a high school junior, senior. You know what I mean? He's a young kid. I don't like his balance, and a lot of that's coming from core strength, so he's just got to get stronger. Right. And I think once he gets stronger, he'll be able to be a better post defender one-on-one. Um, he has great timing, like we talked about, on the on blocking shots. A lot of alley-oops, obviously, at the high school level. you got a seven-footer that can jump like he can. You're just going to throw it up as high as you can. It's an easy pass to make when you get Absolutely, like that, yeah. absolutely. I'm, I'm curious to see how his shot progresses because I do – he's got good hands. I love the top end. I love his the, the release of his shot. I'm a little worried about how he gets there. It's yeah, a little the mechanics, jumbled. The mechanics yeah. are not ideal. He could use a little time in the gym with you. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. Let's go, but, baby. But he does – does have that like you said that release is pure and yeah. it looks good there's a lot to feel good about with that jump shot it's not like where you see some guys and it's all like scrap the whole thing let's start yeah, over absolutely it's kind of just tweak some things keep that elbow tight um just a little bit more of a square foundation yeah that's going back to the balance that you mentioned well and honestly he's not like you mentioned he's not the face up big i mean when he dribbles a basketball he kind of looks like he's dribbling a tennis ball you know, yeah. it's, he kind of has the, uh, you know, this doesn't feel right. So I'm, I'm really, really excited to see coming into the program. Obviously, he's got one more year left of high school. Um, what Mike Menenga can do, what these skill guys can do for the Oregon basketball team to just arm him with a couple go-to moves, a couple go-to things on the offensive side of the ball. Because like you said, I think on the defensive side, I think he's all, well, no, I'm not going to go that far. But he has potential definitely to be better than Infali Dante. Oh, yeah, I'd say so. And, I mean, I like what he does on offense once he's already got the ball in his spot. Yeah. Uh, he hangs out in the dunker spot a lot and is able to get the ball there mm-hmm. a lot just with the way high school basketball kind of operates. And it looks like he was getting down there early, too, so in kind of like that semi-transition. Guys catches it well. High. Yeah, he catches it really well with the, those kitten mittens, too, coming through the middle, and he keeps it high. Mm-hmm. Every highlight I saw, he did a really good job of catch high, keep high. Yeah, which he finishes through contacts well. Mm-hmm. Good two-hand, two-foot dunker, yep. which is like – you don't see a lot of anymore, but it's it's nice to see that he has that foundation where if he gets the ball within five feet, he's going to yam it with two hands. You know who he reminds me of? Greg Oden. No, a lesser of DeAndre Ayton. Oh. Because DeAndre Ayton in high school was very similar to what he looks like now. And DeAndre Ayton has come a long way in the last couple of years for the Phoenix Suns. And I'm really excited to see what him and Book can do this year. However... 
he doesn't have the shot, the the three point shot that mm-hmm. Aiden has, obviously, but just from a defensive perspective and kind of that old school lockdown post big man, but with the crazy athleticism. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that when you mentioned his dribbling, sometimes you do see him with the ball. But it's the, <laughs> the the intent that he has with the ball. Yeah. Like he's trying to get to the front of the rack. One dribble to the it's rack. It's not like he's not going to mess around, especially like in watching some of that Nate Biddle stuff. He kind of like, you get it, dribble out, and you're like, bro, just go. Like, you well, already got, you got the mismatch. Like, yeah. you don't need to try and like, you know... The thing that I liked, the thing I liked about him is he wasn't the dominant player on his team. He might have been the best finisher and the best rebounder, but he wasn't necessarily the guy that the ball played through to win the game. Mm-hmm. Biddle was everything to Craig. Yeah. And that's why I think him in going and playing at prolific prep this year is actually going to be the best thing for him. I hope he doesn't early enroll because getting that year at prep could be great for his development. Right. Instead of what other two way Catholic school is at in Portland or whatever that No, was. Biddle was at a crater. Oh, here in uh, right. Southern Oregon. Yeah, yeah. And again, Crater's a good program. It's just he's the best kid in the area, Big you know. Yeah, I mean, you get to Portland, you might get some kids that are close to his ability level and size. However, I mean, yeah, he was able to dominate 5A basketball. Still didn't win a state title, which worries me. Yeah. I mean, that Thurston team was good, don't get me wrong. Shout out Isaac Lane. That kid's still balling at Lane. But I'm that worries me a little that he didn't go out there and actually <laughs> win a state title here in Oregon. Yeah, it's concerning. Anyway, getting back to Frank the Tank, I'm excited to see this kid come in. Obviously not coming in this season, still going to play that last year of high school. But Dana does it again with another kid who's from Pennsylvania, but definitely of international, um, coming from somewhere else other the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely didn't have the traditional Pittsburgh accent. So we're going to prepare him potentially with Infali Dante, Chandler Lawson, Isaac Johnson, and uh, I don't know if we count Lock War as a big. Well, if they all stick around, because that's True. the thing. And I mean, unless because I I don't I haven't seen anything about him early enrolling. You know, skipping his senior year and coming in early. I did. Oh, about interesting. Frank the Tank. Yeah. Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. Then yeah, that, yeah. that that that's different. Then so yeah, if you pair him with the group that we have right now, Land of the Trees. There's more <laughs> trees on the court than the ones that are painted on there. But like we like we mentioned, poor one out for CJ Walker and all the best to CJ returning back home to Florida. But there is some availability there at the I mean, especially with Francis Okoro also departing the program. Mm-hmm. We needed a little bit more depth there. So that would be interesting if he was able to early enroll. Especially, I mean, we're looking at Chandler Lawson, fairly raw. Yeah. And follow Dante, fairly raw. raw. Raw, like, raw, like raw, like, yeah. Like don't, don't eat it. Um, and then Isaac Johnson, who knows what yep. we have there? Yeah. Former, I mean, for those of you who don't know, former five-star recruit, he's been on his Mormon mission for the last like eighteen months or something like that. Not to say that he's not finding a hoop out there and getting his free throws in or whatnot, but I mean, it, it is just a little peculiar to step away from the game for so long when you're that. Uh, have that much clout i guess yeah. i guess the fans of byu are more <laughs> used to that happening well and one positive thing of COVID is that's what actually sent him home early from mm-hmm. his mission and that's why he's going to be playing this season so yeah i'm excited to see what he can do and especially i mean this is going to be a guard and wing heavy roster anyway for the ducks and that's where the points are really going to come from but they're still going to need that defensive anchor and that amoeba zone and it's and i hope it can be dante i hope infale really grows into that player that we all thought he could be when we first started talking about him on this podcast yeah remember the first time we saw him play? <laughs> he looked like a kim <laughs> i was so excited and i still am excited <laughs> yeah. i really am still excited to see what he can turn into it's just you you realize how truly raw of a talent mm-hmm. he is and i think that uh frank bang 
Ken Capnang, sorry, would, uh, he he seems like a ready-to-play kind of style guy. Yeah. Where it's like, go do those three things you do and just do them over Just and over. do them really, really well. Yeah. And uh, speaking of things that people do well, we're going to go ahead and jump on a segue over to some women's basketball talk, but we're not going to talk about the round ball. We're not even going to talk about the court. We're going to talk about Ms. Minion Moore going out there and using this quarantine time to do something really productive and really kind of check in with something that she really had been wanting to do for a long time and actually getting out there and launching her own fashion line. So Shane's got some more details for mm-hmm. you. So she's using her degrees. Degrees. Um, which in uh, business management and I think the other one was marketing and launched, or launching, sorry, uh, top two, not two apparel. Um, we were talking about this earlier. We don't exactly know. We don't know where that, that name means. is. Yeah. So if you're, you know, wondering, maybe you should hop on the Google machine. I think I read it was a, something from a song lyric, and it's like to say that you're you're. It's another way of saying like you're number one, like top two, but you're not two. I just know. Yeah. So you're number if you're, one. If you're a cool kid out there and you know what this is, just let us know. Let us old heads know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, and stop laughing at us Uh, (laughs) yeah super excited to see more get out here and launch this um we're not exactly sure what the line is going to entail completely but she's got a couple pieces up now to kind of look at yeah a couple pieces right now some unisex uh hoodies and sweatpants and stuff of that nature uh got logo on it some nice cool colors uh very easy on the eyes kind Might of stuff. Might have to cop. Might have yeah, to cop. Yeah, we've also seen some, uh, I don't know, like athletic bike bike shorts, kind of. Athletic uh, shorts, gym athletic shorts. shorts. Yeah. Something like that. Um, so, yeah, everything's looked really good. And it, it's like we were saying earlier, something that was kind of birthed out of quarantine and, <laughs> and uh, you know, having this free time and, you know, taking the time to kind of reassess you know, what you're going after and, you know, decide to really, you know, chase some of your dreams, which it seems like this is something she's really passionate about. Well, and I I will say, I mean, I know we, we, I said I wasn't going to talk about round ball. I did kind of hope she might try to go to Europe or go somewhere and try to play some more ball somewhere professionally, but it seems like she's really found her happy place and she seems really at peace with it. I mean, I'm talking like I had a phone conversation with her before the podcast started, but she seems at peace with this decision to move forward with in a new business realm. Mm. And when like, you know, a lot of travel is being shut down, that's, you know, you don't want to like ever take out those possibilities or maybe, you know, that's just not something that she wants to do live in a foreign country. I mean, I, I don't know if I'd be built for that, where it's like, hey, you know, most of your career options are playing in Russia. I'd be like, eh, I Bro, just don't know how I'd... Sign me up. Like, let's go. I'm down. Let's yeah. sign me up. I'd be down. I mean, not obviously after tomorrow, because I'm getting two more dogs, so that might complicate <laughs> the matter a little bit. But um, I, when I was younger... And I was playing water polo at a high level. I always dreamed of going over to Croatia or like Italy or Australia and playing in some professional league. So yeah, that that type of lifestyle, I think you're right. It appeals to some people and mm-hmm. doesn't appeal to yeah. others. Um, I do want to say also, just kind of segueing off of here, the Ms. Minion Your Clothing line, Dallas Wings. I'm available. Oh yeah, I'm available. Coaching, yeah, coaching availability. Let's uh, let's make something happen here, Dallas Wings. I think that was the right coaching move too. I think they need to get some new blood in there and uh, have somebody that can kind of match 
their players' personalities a little maybe bit a little more. bit better. Yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit better. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of coaching turnover in the WNBA this mm-hmm. year. And I think you're going to see a lot of uh, younger coaches as well. I mean, the Liberty already got a guy Is that's like younger than I am. Thirty. Or yeah, something it's ridiculous. Like that? Yeah. So Dallas Wings, let's go. Get on the horn. Let's make something happen. But uh, anyways, go follow at Top Two Not Two Apparel on Twitter and on the 18th is when the site is launching that's in just a couple days i believe yeah. i don't know what today is today's the 15th so that would be exactly three days away from today which would be a sunday yep sunday um, sunday sunday then you can check out top two not two apparel.com the site is up right right now but you're just gonna find the information we just told you kind of so. like a soft launch kind yeah. of a situation but yeah definitely go out there and cop support um what moore's got going there show her all those orders from eugene oregon that all the stock fans still support and love her and hope the best for her and mm-hmm. all of her future endeavors as we do for every duck and as we do for you beautiful people that are sitting there listening to this podcast we love you we love you we appreciate you we out peace I gave my love a cherry that had no stone. I gave my love a chicken that had no bones. I give. Do you want to dance? Huh? Do you want to dance? Yeah. You know you make me wanna kick my heels up and throw my hands up and throw my head back and come on now, don't forget to say you real. Don't forget to say yeah, yeah, yeah.
Shout a little bit louder now. Shout a little bit louder now. 